0: Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at stevenscreekchurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Man, it is good to see you guys. You doing good? Man, you look good. Have you lost weight? You look good. It's good to see you here in this room, those watching online and those at South Campus. Give a hand to our South Campus joining us live. We love you guys. It's an exciting time of year for me because school is almost back. And I love my children, but it has been a long summer. Can any other parents relate to this? And they're ready to learn in some structure. I'm ready for them to learn. But... It makes me think about my own school days, which I'm also reminded were a long time ago. I'm getting to the age where where it's, it's feeling like the distant past. And I was reminded of that specifically when my youngest son, we have four, two teenagers, and then two, our youngest is only six. He very recently looked at me and he said, Daddy, when you were young, did they have cars? Am I that old? Am I from the 1800s? So I just said, no son, we had a, Horse and buggy we would take to the one-room schoolhouse on the prairie. And I mean, that's, I guess, what he thought I grew up in. It wasn't quite that long ago, but it did make me think about what was school like for me. And maybe some of you guys around my age, maybe you'll remember some of these sites from, from school. We're going to go back in time to the school days. When I was in school, nothing would make my day like walking in the cafeteria and seeing this. Do you guys remember pizza day? Now, right now, this looks Gross. But when you're about 10 years old, this is the most beautiful thing on earth. Just a giant rectangle of pizza carved into smaller rectangles of pizza. It is, it is delicious. It's like the most delicious thing you've ever had and it can make your whole day. But then there were other things that would happen at school that I didn't enjoy as much. You see, I, I really enjoyed gym class back then. It got my energy out. And I grew up in an era where gym class was still full contact. You could play games like Red Rover and dislocate each other's arms like during school. But there was one day of gym class that was just so lame. It was called Parachute Day. Did any of you guys get forced to play under a giant parachute? Am I the how many of you did this? Yes, they still do this? Please, no. See, young people don't even know. Like, you don't have to play with a parachute. Like, you just walk in one day and it's like, kids, we're gonna shake a parachute today. (laughs) Like, are we in prison? This is terrible. This is the, and everywhere we would sit under a parachute. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what the point of it was, but it's burned into my memory. But of all the things that got me excited in school, I don't think anything got me more excited than when I would walk into class and I would see this bad boy right here, the TV cart. (laughs) Remember that? They'd roll that thing in and you're like, we're watching a video today. It didn't matter what the video was. It was going to be awesome. You're watching a video in school. It could be something that It would bore you to death outside of school, but in school, getting to watch a video, just life-changing. And the cart that had the VCR. You young people don't even know about the VCR. VCR stands for very cool and retro. That's what VCR stands for. And we used to to rock the VCR because people get excited about a video. And I'm convinced that we never outgrow our excitement about a video. Even in a sermon, you know, when when you roll in the digital video cart and say we're gonna do a video, people get, get excited. And so I'm gonna show you a little video right here on the front end of the sermon. Yeah, somebody was like, yes! I thought this was just gonna be a boring sermon. He's got a video. (laughs) It's just changed everything. So I'm gonna show you a quick video. Um, Last time I preached, I showed you a video from the show The Chosen, from The Calling of Peter, because I was preaching out of the book First Peter. Well, today, going back to the same show, I'm going to show you the video that's the calling of Matthew because I'm going to be preaching out of Matthew today. And I love the historical context it gives us to remind ourselves these are real people. And I love the character of Matthew in the Bible. He's not just a character, he's a real person. And before Jesus called him, he was a tax collector, which was his job, but it also said a lot about his station in life. Because 2,000 years ago in this nation, this region of the world, Rome had come and taken over. The Roman Empire, as they did back then, would just kind of come in, take over, impose their own laws, and essentially enslave the people who lived there. Right in their own country, the Jews now had no power, no authority. Like, they, they were ruled by Rome. And part of what Rome would do is charge crazy high taxes because Roman citizens didn't pay taxes. They got all their tax revenue from the people they had conquered. And Israel was now considered part of that group. And so they taxed these poor people to death. And to collect these taxes, Rome would hire some of the best and brightest local guys who didn't really have moral scruples to say, we want you to help us extort money from your people, from your neighbors, from your family. And not only do you have to charge what we tell you to charge, but you can add on top of that whatever you want to, and we'll help you extort that money as a little gratuity for yourself. And so as you can imagine, these tax collectors were hated by their own families, by their neighbors, because they were living rich off of everybody else's poverty. And so Matthew was one of these guys. He had money, but he had nothing else. He had no friends. His family was ashamed of him. But he had, from a distance, watched this Jesus preach and teach and and was so intrigued by him, but he felt so ashamed because of who he was and everybody knew who he was that he couldn't go really anywhere without probably having a Roman guard nearby just as a bodyguard. But Jesus encountered Matthew and gave him a calling which changed his life. And it not only changed Matthew's life, but through Matthew's ministry, it changed the history of the world as well. So before we dive into Scripture today, let's take a couple minutes and watch how the story began. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew, Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes, follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you! What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back? No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? Hey, dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. So that's how it started for Matthew. An invitation from Jesus, and it changed his life because he said yes, and he was willing to wa- he was willing to walk away from all the comfort and security he would built for himself to put it all his whole life in the hands of Jesus. And you and I are given that same opportunity. Maybe we don't have to leave our life in such a dramatic fashion. Maybe we're not in a, in a line of work that we feel like is completely incongruent with the gospel. Usually when Jesus calls us, we, we stay where we are. If we're a teacher, we stay a teacher. If we're a mechanic, we stay a mechanic. But whatever we're doing now, we're doing it to the glory of God. We're doing it with a different motivation, which changes everything. But you and I, just as specifically as Matthew did, have to respond to Jesus' invitation. And that's the first principle, if you're following along with the notes, is that God has extended an invitation to you, and how you respond has eternal significance. Matthew said yes, and it not only changed his life and his eternity, but he now used that great eye for detail and that great mind that he had to to study diligently everything that Jesus said and did, and to record what is possibly the most detailed of all four of the Gospels, the the, the Gospel according to Matthew. And if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to look at one of the stories, one of the teachings of Jesus, Matthew chapter 22. This is called a parable, and the, the Gospels, the stories about Jesus are full of parables, which are stories that represent a spiritual truth in some way. And Jesus loved teaching with stories because he knew that we loved hearing stories and we remember stories and stories help us understand things in a way that just facts and figures don't often. But this parable and the way that it ends in particular is is one that always bothered me. And I don't know about you, I've got those parts of scripture that I love to read that just comfort me every time that I read them. But then I've got other parts of scripture that when I read it, I cringe a little bit, if I'm honest. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. or I'm not going to highlight that. I know it's true. I know it's important, but I'm not going to underline it. I'm not going to write it down. I'm just going to maybe pretend that it's not there. But the truth is, every word of the Bible is important. Every word of the Bible is breathed out by God, and it's there for our good, and we have something to learn from it. And so lately, I feel like God's sort of challenging me to lean into those parts of Scripture that I've kind of avoided in the past because those are the very places where he wants to teach me the most. And as I've leaned into those, script, those scriptures, including the one we're gonna look at today, not only does it stop bothering me, but it actually starts comforting me when I, I dig into what's God really saying there? What's he trying to teach us there? And it's always something that's for our good and for his glory, and today's uh, scripture is no different. So we're gonna look at the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fatted calves have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests had ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. So now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they can find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed the man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you're here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen. Do you see why that bothered me? Like, do you see why that's a little scary on the surface, a little sobering, a little harsh even, it seems? But I'm telling you, as I've leaned into this, it's actually brought me a lot of comfort, and it, it doesn't mean what I initially took it to mean at first reading, and uh, we're gonna dive into that in just a minute. But let's kind of look at this, this whole parable. There's, there's a lot here that is comforting on the surface. First off, you know, God is serving fatted calf uh, at, the, at the banquet. I'm so glad it's not like kale smoothies and broccoli salad. Like, it's real food. Okay, guys, you know, that's, we just have an amen for that. Like, God wants us to eat well. Don't trust skinny Christians. You know, that's the message there. <laughs> so, people responded to God's invitation, the king's invitation. The king represents God in this story in a number of ways. The first group of people, they, they were too busy, right? They're they're preoccupied with their own thing. I don't want to, I I don't have time for that. I mean, I appreciate the invitation, but I'm good. I got a lot going on. I got, my business is thriving. My family's got a lot going on and I don't have time for that. And this is one of the most common ways people, including us sometimes respond to God's invitation today. I'm just too busy. I got a lot going on. You know, I'm building my own little kingdom. God, I don't have time for your kingdom. And we miss out on it. The second group of people were those who were outright hostile to the message. And you're probably not in that group because you're at least open-minded enough to be in church today or watching online today, but there's a growing number of people who are hostile to the message of God. And and all the way up until the time Jesus returns, I think we're going to see more and more hostility toward the message of God. But it's the guy at the end of this story that bothered me so much, because I didn't know what to do with that. I'm like, it seemed like he did everything right. Like, he said yes to the invitation, and he shows up, and then... God, like, has his bouncers throw this guy out. He wasn't dressed right. That seems, like, superficial. Like, what's going on? But when you understand that God's never looking at the outward appearance, the Bible says so. And one of my favorite passages is where he says, you know, man looks at the outer appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. So here it's not talking about outer clothing, like we're not dressed appropriately in some way. But it represents something that's happening on a heart level because it's always the heart that God is looking at. And so why is it that he was thrown out? Well, first, let's look at the, the whole parable as a whole. Those who end up rejecting or ignoring or neglecting or being hostile to the message of God, missing out on that wedding feast, the, the phrase that's used to describe them afterwards is this, this, this phrase of anguish, which says there's a weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is really just a graphic description of people who are in a miserable place, and we read that, and on the surface, we think God's just talking about like physical anguish, like they're, they're, they're in hell, and it's, it's hot, and they're, they're, they're in pain. But most biblical scholars say that's not actually an expression of physical pain, but the weeping and the gnashing of teeth is a vivid expression of having deep, tormenting regret. And maybe there's no clearer picture of what hell actually is, of what eternity apart from Christ actually is of having an eternity of deep, intense regret because now apart, separated from the grace of God that was extended to you all along, separated from the hope of God that was just in the common grace of his presence being here on this earth, now separated from that because of the decisions you made, being left with nothing but this deep regret for it didn't have to be like this. And I had this clear memory of every time I pushed the hand of God away from me, every time I rebelled and rejected him, every person I hurt on my way to the top. And now I'm left with that memory is in, a, in a way where I can't atone for it, in a way where I can't do anything to fix it. Have you ever done something in your life that you just regret so much that you just gnash your teeth together and say, why? Why did I do that? If I, if I could just go back, I would change it. I'd give anything to change it. And as long as you have a heartbeat in this life, you still have the hope of knowing that you can receive forgiveness for that, whatever it is. That in Christ, yeah, we can still in this life have regret for things we've done wrong and still even live with some of the natural consequences for decisions we've made, but we don't have to ever live with shame because Jesus already paid the price for it. We we can live in the freedom of knowing that, yeah, that's now part of my testimony, that's not who I am anymore and God set me free from that. And sure, I would change that if I could, but, but now I found hope and forgiveness in Christ and I'm living life in a new way and I still struggle and I still mess up but his grace is there to pick me up and I see myself now the way he sees me. And I'm living my life for him because once I said yes to him, everything changed. I'm not just a tax collector anymore. I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm part of his family. I've got a seat at the table at that banquet, not because of anything I've done to deserve it, but because I said yes to his invitation and I, I received it on his terms. But how do we avoid those regrets? How do we avoid those regrets that just make us weep and gnash our teeth? You know, one of the principles I'm trying to teach my sons, especially as they're in these kind of formidable school ages where there's a lot of temptation all around them, and a, and a principle I try to remind myself as well is this, never trade temporary pleasure for permanent regret. There's a lot in life that feels good in the short term, but hurts you in the long term. And that stuff's just not worth it. Everything God has for you is good, good for the long term. And so when God tells us not to do something, it's not to limit our fun, it's to protect us. Because if we ignore that that, that command of God, then we're actually gonna hurt ourselves and others, which is what sin does. Sin never just hurts the person who does it, it always hurts other people as well. There's always collateral damage. It always leads to regret, it always leads to pain. It leads to separation in relationships when God wants to, he wants to bring healing and wholeness. We don't have to live in that kind of regret. We can find our hope in Christ and we can find our seat at this table. But we've got we to do things his way. You know, there's a temptation in this world to live in what, what I, I've described for a long time as Chuck E. Cheese mentality. How many of you parents have ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? That's right. If you've never been... I'll describe it real quick. It's essentially a crooked casino for children. <laughs> and there are germs everywhere. Scientists are pretty sure it's where COVID-19 originated. Somewhere on the carpet, Chuck E. Cheese is where, where it all started. And no, it's, it, it can be a fun place, you know. Not if you work there, it's, it's great. You know, it's great. Um, it can be fun. But when my kids get there, they lose their mind. Like they just, they turn into different people. Like they, they, it's like they go from being, you know, relatively well behaved to just like possessed Tasmanian devils, just roaring around, fighting over tokens to play these little 30 second games, to get these tickets, these worthless tickets that they can trade in for worthless trinkets. And then on the way home, they're fighting over these trinkets and they break on the way home. And it's like, everybody ends up sad. I'm broke. They're sad. I'm like, this was a wasted day. But a lot of people, and and I've been tempted to do this too, we live in that kind of adult version of the Chuck E. Cheese mindset. Like, I just gotta work, I gotta get more tokens and more experiences and more fun and I gotta collect more trinkets and I gotta win, I gotta get my name on the leaderboard over here and I gotta get more stuff over there. And we run around chasing after things that don't matter and we miss out on all the invitations God's given us. God, I don't have time to come to your wedding party. I'm I'm up for a promotion. I don't have time to to do this over here. I'm, I'm building this. And we're building something for ourselves that's really just a house of cards when he's invited to a, us into a kingdom that's gonna last forever. So we don't, we, we don't have to live with that kind of regret because we can turn to God and have freedom. But what about this guy though? The, the, the guy that, the whole reason the story bothered me, the guy that, that did come and he got thrown out, what was up with him? You see, he wasn't wearing a wedding garment, but what you need to know, the full context is when, when a king would throw a wedding party back then, a, a wedding feast, like he would actually give the garments to the people who came. Like He would give you everything you needed to come in and to experience the party. You're, you're invited. I'll, I take care of everything, the king says. I mean, food's on me. Everything's on me. Even the wedding garment is on me, but, you, but I want you to wear this. It's important. It's a way to, to honor me, to honor my son, like, just just wear this. But this guy was like, no, nah, I don't wanna do that. I mean, I like the food, I like the blessing, but I wanna do things on my terms. I'm good enough already, I don't have to wear your thing. And the temptation for us in our pride is to say, well, God, I like a lot of what you offer. I like some of the blessings that you offer, but I wanna receive it on my terms, right? I mean, I wanna to come to you my way. Not your way, but my way. But the problem is, when we come dressed in our own stuff, The best we've got isn't nearly good enough. The Bible says it this way. And again, we're not talking about clothing here. We're talking about matters of the heart. We are all infected and impure with sin. And when we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. The best we've got, when we say, God, I'm good enough without Jesus. He might've died for those other people, but I didn't need a savior. I'm good. I'm a good person. God says, no, you you need a savior. All of us do. But luckily I'm here to offer you the very thing you need. Because Isaiah also says, and Jesus was making a clear allusion to these passages in this parable, I'm overwhelmed with joy, my joy in the Lord, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. God gives you what you need. He gives you that wedding dress. He he gives you that wedding garment. He says, all you got to do is put it on. You see, there's some things in life that we can't do in our own strength. Like, I'm, I'm amazed by people who can do stuff I can't do. Like, my wife Ashley is so much tougher than me. Clear example, she put this on Facebook with her pretty manicured toes. She broke her pinky toe two nights ago, and I was there in the kitchen when she rammed it into the wall. Now, if it would have been me, I would still be on the floor. I mean, when I just a little bit of pain. And I'm like, ah, 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 ah. and I would have been like weeping, gnashing of teeth, you know, pro- you know probably saying things pastors shouldn't say, or just making a huge scene. But this is what Ashley did. She breaks her toe. I was right there. And she goes, oh, I think I broke my toe. I'm like, are you Jason Bourne? Like, who are you? And she, she was like, no pain. And then sure enough, it's like broken. And I can't do that. I'm watching the Olympics right now. If you want to feel out of shape, watch the Olympics, by the way. You know, like I'm watching these guys and these girls and they're swimming and they're flipping and they're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I can't do any. Like if I was involved in any one of these disciplines, swimming, whatever, like you would just see how good these other people are just by me trying to keep up. There's no way. And so it's kind of like with God's wedding banquet, he said to come in. You have to be wearing a gold medal. And I'm, I show up and I'm like, well, I, you know, I don't have one. I'm not athletic, you know, I can't swim that fast. I mean, you know, the, the, the balance beam and me have never gotten along. Like it just, there's none of these things that I'm gonna be the best at. And he's like, well, that's all right. Jesus went ahead and he won it for you because he knew there's no way that you could. And so here it is, all you gotta do is, is wear it. But in our pride, we say, no, 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 I can't do that. I didn't, I didn't earn it. That's not mine. I didn't earn that. It's like, I know you didn't. You couldn't have earned it. Jesus is the only champion who could have earned it. And he did for you because he knew you would need it. And it, it's, your, it's the only way you can get in, but you have to wear it. And we think, no, no, I can't because i want to do it my own way. I wanna do it in my own strength. And, and I'm not gonna wear something I didn't earn. But you see, grace requires humility and our pride is what keeps us away. Our pride says, no, I don't don't need that. So here's the principle and why this guy got thrown out. The only way to miss out on God's invitation is to receive it on our own terms instead of his. Jesus wants it to be simple, but we have to be humble. It's not not complicated. I think we overcomplicate scripture so much. When Jesus said, no, 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 like kids understand it better than adults. It was Albert Einstein who said, if you can't clearly explain something to a five-year-old, it's because you don't really understand it yourself. You can take these big complex things, but but really when you boil them down, it's always something simple. And Jesus says, coming into the kingdom of God is simple. God just wants you, he wants your heart, he wants you to trust him. And he wants your availability. I mean, that's, that's about it, but you've got to trust him to do it his way. Jesus is the only way. And what's holding us up now, what's so many people showing up to the party because they want some of the things of God, but not the whole deal, is this modern mindset and all these modern myths we live in where it's like, no, man, it's like you just follow your truth. And if some of your truth is like the Bible, I don't know why I like turn into a hippie when I start talking about your truth, <laughs> but it's your truth, man. And like, that's cool because it's true for you. What does that even mean, right? Or God or the universe universe has big plans for me. Man, the universe doesn't have any plans for you, okay? <laughs> the one who created the universe, though, has a lot of plans for you. But when we start coming to God, like we can, we can take, like, pick and choose little parts we like, scripture, but I don't really want the whole thing. I certainly don't want you to be like, Lord of my life, because I want a lot of freedom, and there's some stuff I do that's maybe on the sketchy gray area of scripture that I'd like to keep doing. And you know, it's like, we've gotta be able to come to him and say, Lord, my life is in your hands, all of it. There's no part of my life that's off limits to you because you, you're the one who gave your life for me. You saved me and I received that gift of grace. There's nothing I could have done to earn it. And you give me, then God gives us everything that we need, everything that we need to come to him. We don't have to try to earn it, it's just his. It's a ticket we never could have bought for ourselves. You know, I went, our family like flew like this year and it was the first time my sixth year had ever been on a plane and he's walking to the airport with me, he had no idea you even needed a ticket. He, he didn't buy a ticket. He never even touched a ticket. He just knew that if he was with me, he was gonna get where he needed to go. But if he have tried to figure out the whole process on himself, or, or pay for it himself, he's not going anywhere. But he knew, if I, if I stay with dad, I'm gonna get where I need to go. And that, in a nutshell, is the Christian journey. If I trust dad, if I stay with dad, I'm gonna get where I need to go. If I need a ticket somewhere, he's got me covered because I can't afford, I can't buy a ticket to heaven. But if I stay with him and he says, trust me, we're going, then I go. But if I try on my own to build a plane, it's, it's not gonna get very far. God gives us what we need. And even this whole wedding garment thing, coming back to the analogy of clothing, you know, Matthew, again, says it this way. Why worry about your clothing? This is actually Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount recorded by Matthew. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing. Yet Solomon, King Solomon in all his glory, wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek first his kingdom, live righteously. He will give you everything you need. It doesn't mean we don't work hard and we don't try to do good things. We just know we, we're not doing those things to earn our salvation. God's already taken care of that. And if we put God first, he takes care of everything else. So the principle is no one deserves God's invitation. It's a free gift of grace we can only receive through faith. The Bible says God saved you by his grace when you believed, you can't take credit for it, You didn't get in because of your own wedding garments. You didn't get in because of your own good deeds. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So should we do good things? Yes. Christians should, should do more good things than anybody else on the planet. But we don't do it to earn our salvation. We've already got it. We do it because God saved us and because we're so grateful for what he's done and because we want other people to see the goodness of God. And if it, through our imperfection and our brokenness, if by serving others and being kind and doing good things can point people to Jesus who saved us, then man, we get to be part of their story too. What a gift that is. That's why we do good things. One last story and then then I'll wrap this up. So I think this, this image kind of captures the way that so many of us as Christians get this idea of grace wrong. You know, one of my favorite war movies is Saving Private Ryan. And I'm not gonna show you a clip from it, but it's, it's a powerful movie. It's a movie in a nutshell is this team from the army has been commissioned to go and save this one private, Private Ryan, because all of his brothers have died in battle, and the government's trying to spare his family the grief of losing every one of their kids. So the captain who's in charge of this rescue team, he thinks it's not a good idea. He's following orders, but he thinks it's a bad idea. He doesn't think this kid is worth the effort and there's certainly better things they could be doing, but they follow orders and they go and they save Private Ryan in the final battle saving him and most of the team gets killed. And the captain who led the team is fatally wounded. And with his final breaths, he looks at this young private and says, earn this, earn it. And then the scene in a really powerful scene, movie flash forwards and you now see Private Ryan is an old man back on the beaches of Normandy, finds that captain's tombstone and he pleads with it. He says, "I, I did the best I could. I tried to be a good man, I tried to earn it. And he stands back and in a moment that makes everybody cry, he salutes this grave, his family's in the background. But you can tell this man has been haunted his whole life. Have I been good enough? How do I know if I've earned it? How do you earn something like that? And the fact is you can't earn something like that. Somebody giving their life for you, especially the son of God giving his life for you. But we live our lives as if Jesus had that same mindset. I'm gonna reluct, I I don't really think you're worth the effort, but I'm, I'm gonna do it. But man, you better earn it. You better earn this. That's not what Jesus did or said. He knew it was gonna cost him his life when he came. And so when he died on that cross, thinking of you, dying for you in your worst moment, paying a price for you, you could never repay. Do you know what he said from the cross? Jesus did not say, earn this. Jesus said, it is finished. Work is done, I've done it, I did this for you. I provided that robe of righteousness you need. Just put on the wedding garment and come to the party. I've paid the price for you in my own blood to cover your sins, to take the penalty that you should have paid. There's nothing left to do except for you to receive it and live your life in response to me. But you've got to do it on my terms. You can't do it on your own terms. You can't be your own savior. You can't be your own Lord. But if you follow me, I promise you're gonna have everything that you need. I'm gonna pray for you. There's those in this room who've lost sight of that or lost sight of the precious gift that Jesus gave or maybe lost sight of what grace is and we're on this treadmill trying to earn our way back to him and it's so exhausting. Today can be the day that you step off that treadmill and say, God, just take me as I am and help me live my life in response to you. Help me be the person you made me to be and let his arms of grace sweep you up today. And maybe today is the day that you make the best decision of your life and you do what Matthew did 2000 years ago, where you say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I'm all in. That's the moment that not only changes your life, but changes your eternity when you say yes to Jesus. And it can happen right now. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your gift of grace. None of us deserve it. None of us could earn it. And yet you give it freely. Help us, Lord, to receive that gift wholeheartedly On your terms and not our own let us be humble enough to recognize our need for a savior and to receive you as the only one who could save us and for those here today who've never made that decision they've pursued you just as a religious set of rules or as something that's not in the bible something you haven't called us to let today be the day we say jesus forgive me of how i've lived forgive me god of trying to live my life or make my way to heaven any other way but your way because you are the way lord so forgive me Make me the person I was meant to be. Be my Lord and Savior. I'm choosing to follow you and give me the strength to follow you every step, every day, from now through eternity. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace, Jesus. We thank you that you make that invitation so freely accept, so freely available to us all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church,